0: The Amazing Women podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Today's guest is Rita Kakati Shah. And Rita is truly an amazing woman. She was born in Paris, raised in London and now lives in New York City, and she goes around the world and speaks about diversity in the workplace. She started her company, Uma because she took some time off to raise her family, went back to the workforce, and nobody would hire her. Why wouldn't they hire her? They said that she had a gap in her resume, and they don't like gaps in your resume. Even though she spent that time raising a family being a mother, which is one of the more difficult jobs out there, they still felt like they wanted somebody who did not have any gaps in their resume. So Rita decided to do something about it. Now she goes around the world educating Fortune 500 companies in diversity and the value of hiring people with real-world experience. Her long list of awards and speaking accolades includes global diversity and inclusion forums such as UNESCO in Paris, European Parliament in Brussels, Woman Who Matters in Moscow, Women in Politics in Los Angeles, Women in Finance in London, and four more paragraphs on her LinkedIn About page amazing only begins to describe Rita welcome thank you very much for joining me on my podcast
1: hi Rob. Well, w- thank you for having me
0: you're very welcome how's uh, how's life over there in New York City these days
1: life is great things are starting to open up a bit it is a sunny day right now so I'm happy
0: <laughs> oh very nice so what have you been working on uh, recently since you can't really travel
1: so, yeah, since I've, I haven't been traveling so much, I've been doing a lot of online webinars, trainings. Um, I'm still speaking at conferences, but remotely. Um, started a new TV show as well, so I've been doing that remotely. Um, and just doing things like that, just to empower women and minorities around the world.
0: How, do you, how, how would somebody find your TV show?
1: Uh, it's on YouTube right now it's uh, through an Indian channel called Mana TV international. So they have a, their own YouTube channel. Otherwise it's uh, just on, on YouTube. You, you would type in the UMA show with Rita Kakati Shah. And okay. uh, yeah, and you'd find it there.
0: That sounds good. All right. I'll, I know I'll check it out later and see. And hopefully Definitely my, do check it out. <laughs> my listeners will. So um, tell me a little bit about how you got started. And I know some of your history, cause we've talked in the past, just you and I, mm-hmm. but that doesn't help my listeners any. Uh, you had as i recall had a really good job or a couple of jobs you're working for some big financial firm you left to raise a family when you came back you had some challenges could you talk about that for a minute
1: absolutely so um back in the uk which is where i'm originally from i was investment banking i was at goldman sachs uh for for just a, a touch under a decade um in sales trading on the equities trading floor to start with um, then fixed income and then different project roles so i moved around quite a bit and during my entire decade at the firm i was very involved in diversity and inclusion issues so i'd always been um, working um, to help grow the women's network helped set up an asian professionals network from scratch Mm -hmm. and always been involved in different uh, parts of uh, diverse inclusion issues at the firm um, I then transitioned um, into the pharmaceutical accident um, into the pharmaceutical industry rather by accident because a family <laughs> friend approached me one day um, i don 't know if I told you this story, Rob, no. but um, approached me one day and said, "Hey, Rita, you have a business background uh, I, started, I studied mathematics and management at university. I went to king 's College in London, and then he said to me he said well i 'm trying to set up clinical trials um, group." um in Delaware will you help me so my first question is um what's Delaware not where's Delaware but what's Delaware you know here's me English girl in investment banking not having a clue what this Delaware thing is I thought is that a bar of chocolate is it a soap is it what is it you know um soon soon after found out it's it's a nice place where you can set up companies and it's a tax haven so um long story short Rob That's how I got my feet wet in a completely different industry. And I loved it. You know, coming from a big corporate um, environment where all of your I's are dotted and all of your T's are crossed to go into the extreme opposite end of the spectrum where that isn't the case and you are doing everything to make things happen, for me, was eye-opening. And for me, was a bit more like the real world that I thought I was in when I was in banking. So. I got a glimpse from a different spectrum completely, and I was traveling a lot. I was in business development um, within the clinical trials, drug discovery world, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I got to travel everywhere, and I was um, speaking to key opinion leaders in psychiatry and neurology from different walks of life from all parts of the world, and I loved it. Um, Soon I um, met my future husband um, and I relocated in New York City, which is where I live now. So how long and, ago was that? Um, this would have been uh, April 2011 is when I moved. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's just come over nine years now. Time flies, isn't it? Yes, and, um it, And, you know, I absolutely, um, you know, loved life when I came over here to New York, but the first thing that hit me was actually homesickness, which is something that I didn't recognize initially, Rob, because I've traveled here, there, and everywhere, and I've certainly been to New York so many times. Yeah, it seems odd but it's, for you. Um, it is, but here's the thing. Here's me, strong, independent, um, financially independent woman um, who had my own job, my own business, uh, my own life, to suddenly come over to the U.S. on a green card, and now I was a dependent on somebody. Um, so was, I was that, a, used a, to that
0: a big loss of a oh, loss of control, right? You felt like. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, little things. So when I first uh, moved to the, in New York, for example, I wanted to get my own um, credit card. And i been on had an American Express for so many years, I couldn't remember um, how long. And so I went to the, well, what can I get a US equivalent? They were like, well, no, you have no credit history here. <laughs> um, so it took me a while to realize that. But I have an American <laughs> Express and I've had my own line of credit for years now and I've had international clients. I don't get it. But it was very much like that. It felt like I was segregated. I wasn't um, included into the emir- environment. And for me, it was like, wow, it's almost like all of my background, my credentials, everything that made me suddenly just disappear- disappeared overnight. Um, you know, And it's just, I- I've always been a very social person. So finding friends, again, that was fine. But it was almost like my, my network, my family, my core group we're back in London and um, in a different parts. So it, it very much hit me that way that, wow, traveling to different places is very different from um, actually living somewhere where you're not sure. um, in and out of a suitcase anymore, but you know, you aren't. this is your, your new base. So this, that took I- me a while.
0: this idea of a global economy and global everything, it's kind of on the surface because if you're – like you said, if you move to another country, all of a sudden, the rules would change, right? You could mm-hmm. travel around all you want. They take your American Express from Britain, no problem. But you come here to get an American one. It's the same company, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But yet, yeah.
0: because you now have an American address, they want to look at your American history, and there isn't one. So they go, well, who are you? You yeah, can exactly be the prime is. minister <laughs> of some country and come here and you get in the, not be able to get credit, right?
1: Absolutely, (laughs) and that's kind of what it felt like. Um, And then um, settled here, New York. um, I um, I'm the mother of two small children. My son Rahi is now seven and a half. My daughter is now five and a half. Um, And I took about fun ages, uh, fun ages, yeah. (laughs) And I took around three and a half, four years off to raise them. And I've got to say, Rob, I thought you know working in investment banking sometimes almost twenty four seven was tough. I thought traveling here, there and everywhere crossing time zones was tough. That's True. nothing
0: compared <laughs> to being
1: a full time mother because wow. I mean I tell people all the time, it's not just working 24 seven, it's working 24 seven on steroids. It's like, you can never, you know, you never get a full night's sleep. You're constantly sleep deprived. You're fitting in so much during the day. You're here, there and everywhere. You have to be insanely organized um, I tell people all the time that you have to be very good at negotiating. If you yeah, can negotiate with a toddler, I tell people, if you can negotiate with a toddler, there isn't anyone on this planet, you can't take on and take that to your next boardroom interview. So, you know, yeah, I mean, the kids are great salespeople, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Um, but that to me was, you know, the hardest I'd ever worked and taught me so much about myself that I didn't and I couldn't have got when I was in the professional setting in the workforce um so then you know after about three and a half four years when I was ready to um revisit a professional setting again and I didn't know whether it was going to be finance or healthcare, um I started meeting friends of mine and um I was really surprised at the kind of conversations that I was having nobody once asked me about my credentials my background what I could bring to the workforce now it was very just fixated on the proverbial gap on my resume all right so let me, three ba- and a half I'm, years. let
0: me interrupt here and ask you a couple of questions about that okay that intrigues me uh
1: mm.
0: i personally <laughs> i'm a terrible employee i i can't there's no job i can't get fired from i've all <laughs> i haven't i've worked for myself for i don't know 30 years or something so i i, I get that if i had to do a, a resume and turn it in and I, I just can't do that. You know, I just, I go, just let me talk to the owner or, or the president or the chairman yeah. and, and I'll give me five minutes and I'll sell myself and I'll show them what I could do and, and they could hire me or not hire me. This nonsense of taking four, five, six, seven interviews and in two months to hire somebody to me is just insanity. You just hire the person or don't hire the person. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and yet, especially now with, corp- with corporations and with the internet, I know people, they have to go online and fill out forms and put in their cv and do all this stuff and then some hr person is going to look at it and just or or maybe an algorithm a computer does it and Mm -hmm. eliminates 98 percent just off the top just because it doesn't have the right buzzwords or something and then what's left right they pass it on and they analyze it so you are in a position had you been able to sit down in front of the person who was going to actually use your services and talent and talents your supervisor if you will probably would have hired you in a new york minute as they say right right away because you're eminently qualified but because you had to go through the process it became very difficult and very frustrating and on top of that you can't include your experience as a mother in there, right? If you could make a, I've seen that before, where somebody sat down and made a job description of, of what mm-hmm. a job was. A mother, right? Didn't say mother, but that yeah. that was a description. And I read it and go, wow, I, I couldn't do that. You know,
1: as a smart.
0: but they don't count that, right?
1: Well, that's the thing, Rob. You've actually hit the nail on the head because um, society discriminates against somebody who's been a mother. Harvard Business School did a study a couple of years ago now where they came up with results from industries all across the States that showed that if you submitted a resume and you have a gap on that resume and the reason for that gap was motherhood versus um, being made redundant, say you are 50% less likely to be called for an interview because the reason for the gap was motherhood. Wow. Something translates into the employer's head. It could, it's unconscious bias at its best right there. Where basically if you're a mother, it means you are not ambitious. You are a quitter. You don't have the skills <laughs> anymore. You are inherently lazy and you don't know how to work. It's something that translates. Wait, it wait, cannot wait, be furthest from the truth. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I, I, lazy. I mean, to be a mother, that's the...
1: That's op- what people think. Is ambitious ridiculous. too, right? It's yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. But people see that, they think, oh, you're just a mum. And you know, I've been to dinners when I was at home with my children and we had a sister come over and I went out to dinners with my husband and some mutual friends. Um, I would get in that conversation where I was made to feel uncomfortable because I was a mum. And they didn't do it on purpose, they didn't do it to hurt my feelings, but I felt uncomfortable. Questions like, oh, um, you know, Rita's done that. So they'd always be like, well, Rita used to work here and used to work there. I said, well, I want to talk about what I'm doing now. Because what I'm doing now that, wow, I'm learning so much stuff and I can absolutely contribute to conversations, but I have, to, I had to learn how to insert myself because nobody would ask me. They would be like, oh, okay, well, what do you do now? Okay. Well, what else do you do? Do you not kind of, do you not get bored? And I said, well, I don't have time to get bored. Like if anything, I would, would twiddle my thumbs now and again here or there because I wasn't doing that, you know? So people wouldn't understand it. And that's really I guess it planted the seeds, Rob, for me starting Umo in the first mm. place, because I felt it. I felt that discrimination that for centuries women were talking about. When I wasn't a mum, I wouldn't get it. It would be in right. one ear at the other because I wasn't going through it. So well, you I you not okay, understand
0: anybody's challenges. Exactly, you know, them, you, you right?
1: don't. Um, you know, call it, use, call it whatever you like. I just didn't get it. And then I was going through it myself. And I thought, wow. And then I was almost like the fly on the wall, seeing how other people reacted to me and hearing the other people's stories. And I thought, I want to do something about this because the folks that everybody's calling slackers are actually the hardest working folks you're ever going to meet. And they're they're going to get the thing done. If you're going to rely on someone to get it done, you ask a woman, you ask a mother. You know, there's been other research that's been showing that
0: not my mother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so who's been, she's who's she's been wonderful, more but she's an
0: artist. She doesn't get anything done except her paintings and her surroundings.
1: Well, she's creative. You know, she's got the she's other sort of, you know. Yeah, but yeah, give her a yeah. chore,
0: forget it, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but there's the creativity side. But anyone who's actually thinking of going back to a certain task from that background, you give them and they'll get it done. You know, my point being, there's been research to show that, you know, when you look at folks going back to work and productivity, it's been shown that anybody who's had children anyone who's had more than uh, two or more children and from the ages, I think it's of um, seven or eight onwards. Um, so not at the very kind of young toddler ages, but onwards are more productive than single women and men. And you cannot mm. argue with the research. You cannot, because you're getting things done. You know that you have deadlines. You have to meet them. These aren't just sort of flexible floating deadlines. These are real deadlines that you think you don't meet, make, you don't make them something doesn't happen. So, so um, why
0: aren't these corporate people thinking of a mother as a supervisor? Cause that's, w- that's only one part of what you do, but you're a supervisor extraordinaire, right? You got to get mm. your kids to soccer. You got to make this, you got to make the phone calls. You got to make sure you didn't forget to register for something. you got to maybe pay the bills and don't forget to water the lawn and who knows what <laughs> else you got to do. Right? So yeah. you're clearly an educator and a supervisor and you have to give orders and have them followed. And you have to do it in a nice, nurturing way. And not only that, but when everything goes to hell, you got to be the one to comfort them and say, oh, it's okay, you know, make them feel better, right? Yeah. So why don't these people make that transition to think, well, okay, that's the same skill I'm looking for here. i got a bunch of people here that act like two-year-olds, even though they're not, and I want to get things done. I need a supervisor who can corral them and, and get them on task and get the projects done, right, on time. They don't make that connection.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean companies are starting to do that. They were starting to put sort of return to work programs and schemes together. And very much that's what Uma, we partner with companies to do. We help them see that. But you know, the, the, the research we just shared with you, the 50% of, you can't change somebody's thought process.
0: Very hard, yes.
1: And if you have that bias in your head, and it only takes five or six seconds for you to make your mind up about a CV you're seeing, a resume, about meeting someone for the first time, you make your mind about that person without them even looking in the mouths so you're stuck with that bias anyway secondly from an employer's perspective they have you know people that are coming through the ranks folks that are up for promotion that have been in the workplace day in day out so from their perspective they're thinking well why why would i get somebody else from the outside coming in rather than somebody I've nurtured that come in through the organization culture and promote them. And that is a debate we face every single day. What we're trying to do is not take away from existing people's roles. We're trying to create more suitable roles. Because as you said, these these are automatic leaders. They're automatic supervisors. People that are organized do not cave under pressure and can problem solve like you wouldn't believe. And who has these skills? Mothers naturally do.
0: Right. You so, know, let, me, let me interrupt you again here. I'm not supposed to interrupt my guests, I know, but <laughs> you're so intriguing to me. You just said something, you know, that you, you, these people that are mothers, they have to get something done, right? And you know for sure they'll get it done for sure. To me, that seems like an extremely valuable skill. And yet, doesn't I recognize either?
1: Mm, people recognize it as a skill whether or not they actually want to accept that that is the reality of two different things.
0: Okay, all right. Now, as a, and, as a, you know, as a male, as a man, and, and being somewhat ignorant, when I, when I embarked on doing this podcast, I thought I knew a lot about women and I thought things were fairly equal overall because, well, for one thing, I'm married to a operating room nurse. My wife, Karen's a nurse, and she gets paid on the schedule. How many years have you worked at the hospital? What is your designation? What's your education? This would you get paid? doesn't matter if you're male or female, black, white, or green, right? But I'm coming to find out that the corporate world, and in fact, most of the world, doesn't work like that. There isn't a mm-hmm. schedule. And I, I, when I used to work for a living, I was a teacher for a while. And same thing. I had a chart. How old are you? What's your experience? This is what you get paid. There was no prejudice. But most jobs are not at all like that, are they? They are subjective and the negotiations. And the women tend to be given less opportunity to negotiate than the men. My experience has been, talk to a state planner the other day, a lawyer, mm-hmm. right, a woman, and she said, well, you know, um, I find when I give a woman a price, it's going to cost whatever $5,000 for this plan. They go, well, okay. And then I, I give the same thing to a man. He right away wants it for three thousand dollars he's negotiating yeah. with me you have my partner who's a man and he gives the same guy a quote yep. for five grand he goes oh, all right so so why is it that these people tend to think they can take i guess they think they can take advantage just it's completely
1: kids. taken advantage absolutely but also i turn the onus around so part of now my work at uma isn't just to sort of um open up companies eyes which is very much what it is about just showing them about diverse individuals. How can you make them more inclusive and, you know, um, extending um, that Mm -hmm. olive branch to everybody and seeing what talent is really out there um, and getting people into leadership roles. But it's also the women and the minorities and getting them to grow that sort of insane amount of confidence needed to go in there. When you've taken a break, whether you've been out of the workforce, when you are in a, when you are a minority, you feel inferior sometimes when you're the only person in that room you do and okay. it's about how do you feel confident in that situation how can you turn that around to enact, to becoming an asset of yours um and that's all, what it's about so it's about bringing up that confidence to be able to negotiate to show that you know what this is my experience this is what i can do for you this is my price rather than you know have it kind of like negotiate all the way down which is very different to somebody just going there and almost looking like you're begging for business. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, and this is for men and women, it's not just a gender specific thing. It's very much about how you sell yourself. You want to be able to be in a situation where the other party cannot say no, in a way. You make it right. very hard for them to kind of get out of. And that's just the art of negotiation and what particularly we work with our women in because it increases your confidence, increases the way they, they, they ask and how they go and do that. Um, and that really really can make a difference to them as well um so it is it is a it is a battle it isn't easy but it is small steps and i think when people start doing that and showing that they're not going to budge or be a pushover like so many people think they are that this is what they're going to offer and i'm a professional just standing like anybody else they will get taken more seriously but it's a fight it's not just easy it doesn't just come to you
0: so all right listening to you and just listening, I don't know, on the surface, if you will, you know, just, just listening to what you're saying, you know, I'm not really diving into your business model or anything. I even looked at your website and it all makes sense. On, on the surface, somebody might say, oh, that sounds like a nonprofit organization. They go out and they help people. But I know it's not. You're an entrepreneur. You've made this into a business. Uh, I had the sneaking suspicion that you made it into a very lucrative business that you do quite well. Um, I, You live in a nice part of Manhattan and, you know, that's not, everybody knows it's not cheap. You rent a closet is $5,000 a month. right? <laughs> so, I, and, and uh, <laughs> you have to bring your own hangers and, and bars and everything anyway. Um, so you turned this actually into a, bus- into a business, right? So how did you do that? I mean, how did you take all this knowledge and package it and go out there and get people to pay for it?
1: Well, um, with any business, you've got to show there is a problem and there's a solution. You've got to show somebody they need something and you can solve what they need. You have what they need. And that's literally what it is. Um, Absolutely, this could have been set up as a non-for-profit. And I did actually consider that initially. But there was actually two initial um, main factors I didn't do that. One is I thought there were so many women that I knew that were entrepreneurs that were setting up businesses that help people. But it's always seen as um, something that cannot be made into a business. It's almost like, oh, this is a very goodwill cause. I said, why can you not be a business that has corporate social responsibility? And that is what Uma is. I can absolutely Mm. be a business. I have shown that. Um, And I'm just showing people what they need. I'm taking to companies something that is a gap in the way they hire, in the way they train. There is a gap in their leadership model. You know, they do not have that many women or women of color or people of color in general in certain positions. That is a gap. I know they're trying to fill it. I can help them do that. Similarly, what's stopping people from getting and applying to these positions in the first place? Well, it's confidence. It's realizing your inner voice. It's being able to communicate effectively and be able to negotiate to get what you want. Well, I can do those things for people and I help them. So I'm showing people, this is what's stopping you from getting those um, big six figure salaries, and I can help you do that. And when you've had a couple of happy clients and testimonial success stories, it starts coming in. Um, I'm all about, as an entrepreneur, trying to um, turn the wheel and finding out what else I can do. So I think I mentioned not just having these models, but thinking, okay, um, during COVID, during quarantine. What can we do differently? Okay, let's have a launch of our own TV show. Let's all um, launch our own sort of interview series that we can actually have with professionals as well. And these are things that are constantly churning and getting people alive, bringing people to us, getting more website traffic, more YouTube traffic, more social media traffic. This is what's needed. You have to constantly show people, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm constantly changing. um, And I know exactly what your needs are. And there's no much better to do it than Uma than myself.
0: Uh, so let me ask you this about the gap, right? There are a lot of companies that want to look like they're diverse and they want to hire a minority or they want to hire more women or whatever the category is. And uh, they almost, they won't take anybody, but they're, it's more important for them to fill that gap, fill up, fill up that position with that kind of, Demographic than it is to find somebody who's going to be really good at it, right? Otherwise, there wouldn't be a gap They would just look at people on their own merit now you probably are in a position to Help fill fill those positions get people in the position to get that job and These are probably very competent people. So when the employer Hires somebody and their board says who'd you get to fill up that position for the woman or the or the brown woman or the black woman, Whatever, the, whatever it is. Oh, I got somebody. Okay, great now with you in the mix correct me if i'm wrong i'm guessing that the person you put in place is not only that demographic but they happen to be really good at the job do they recognize that and are they surprised at the fact that you hired somebody who not only did you not only did you satisfy their gap problem but you actually satisfied their work problem that, absolutely
1: absolutely and you know Rob you've actually um called it right so there are so many companies because it's a known issue now they're trying to fill quotas they're saying okay we have to get um more black people in or more brown people or more women more veterans whatever it is they're trying to fill quotas what we're trying to do is not just sort of say okay well here's a pool of veterans or here's a pool of um you know african americans or here's a pool of like you know brown women for you what we're trying to do is say that you know these are different pools that we are very closely connected with. We will introduce you to them and they're very, very highly qualified pre-vetted as well. But this is going to be widening your hiring pool. You're ultimately going to be looking at these qualified pool and still shortlisting according to merit. So at the end of the day, as long as they can show that, you know, there's people they are actually making the efforts to interview and find who is adequate for the job. It's all got to be based on merit from that point onwards. Now, obviously, we're not ultimately in charge of who they select, but that's what we can do as part of our training and changing their policies of how they should go forward. So many people get make that mistake that, OK, just for quotas, please just introduce us to a pool that is only exactly what we're looking for. And I said, no, what are you trying to do with that? You need to make this fair. And also, it's illegal. You cannot just hire for one pool, not the other. You would discriminate. It's reverse discrimination to do that. So it's very much about showing them that you have to, to be level playing field, which is widening your scope here.
0: So some of these people that have done business with you from the corporate side, they, they, I can see them talking to their HR person or whoever it is and they're off. We, well, we need somebody who's gonna be this position, this managerial position, whatever. And they said, well, you know, call Uma, call, call Rita. Um, she's great, she knows all these people. Forget about what the person, the demographic is—that they're they're white, black, or young or old, or female or male. You actually you you must have the reputation of supplying really competent people that just happen to be maybe the demographic they're looking for. It's almost like taking a spreadsheet and doing a sort, right? You've got to put the priorities. This take all these, and then all these, and then all these, and you've taken the the. The demographic portion of it and made it like the last thing you sought for, not the first thing you sought for.
1: Right, right. And and to your point, actually, it's not just bringing people in, it's what do you do with them once they're in the workforce? And that's so a big part up? that people in. Absolutely, because one thing that we really, really do a lot of is training corporate uh-huh. training, leadership training, because then you bring people in, but then people leave. If the workplace culture isn't ready, for this new diverse pool of talent if a manager is out there and they just really they might be good at their job but they just have no clue of how to be an inclusive manager somebody's going to leave sure. and that's a major part of what we do you know we structure these return to work programs it's not just a matter of getting talent in is your company ready for them in the first place are your managers trained do you know about unconscious bias and how to avoid it? Do you know about how to create an inclusive work environment? Literally what we do, we provide that diversity and inclusion toolkit for employers before we even said, okay, now let's hire folks in. Because if you don't have that step, you cannot do the other step.
0: Well, no wonder you have a successful business. You really figured it out from the inside out and give them a complete package and not just a band aid.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. we we get to the core. It's not just a matter of okay, that looks great. Let's just, as you've mentioned, it's not just paint over glossy because that's what's needed. What is the core? What is the root of what's causing this issue in the first place? Let's tackle that first, and then build on that.
0: And do you find there's quite a few companies who go, "Ah, oh, we're not interested in doing all that. We want to. We, just, we need somebody to fill the position." Or do you not even ever want to talk to them in the first place?
1: <laughs> no, that happens a lot. I mean, you know, when I first started, um, I used to call myself Rudolph. Because I had so many doors that just shut in my face. Because <laughs> when you are a startup and an entrepreneur, okay. that is what you're doing. You're constantly hustling. Um, and folks would be like, "Well, now, now obviously we, we know in the industry, but back three, four years ago, we weren't. They were like, okay, well, who's Rita? Who's Uma? Okay, call back later. And I would be telling people this and you know, they would be like, okay, it's hard to get in there. But now people cannot refute data. They cannot refute numbers and what is really out there. It's different from me saying, hey, Rob, well, did you know that Um, a woman can do a better job. But if I show you data to show that she's more productive and she can get your job done or something like that, that's something different. That you can't argue with. At the the end of the day, if you're a business, you care about profits and about expansion and about how you're going to move to that next level. That's ultimately what your bottom line is about. And if I can show you how I can help you do that, then we've got to have a conversation. You'd be silly not to.
0: Yeah, you could show a CEO who's a bigot and who doesn't want to hire a black person but if you show them a high enough number they'll go okay i'll hire a black person i don't care it's i don't have to have dinner with that. them i'll yeah. just put them to work right <laughs> money is the ultimate bargaining tool if you can prove that with data then they they'll they listen so that makes sense Absolutely. To me. so tell tell me this so tell my this for my listeners really there's lots of women out there who they maybe they want to start their own business or they want to move up in their business and uh, they maybe feel a little insecure about it. Uh, it's kind of scary, especially starting a business, taking taking a job, have a job with a salary, and you go, you know what? I'm going to give that up and just go into business and make nothing for a few months and build it into something. Right? That's that's scary. It takes a lot of it takes confidence. Do you have any great little nuggets of wisdom that we could pass along to them to make them feel a little more empowered to do that and not be so afraid?
1: Oh, totally. Um, I mean, you've you've mentioned confidence already, but something that women in particular suffer from is imposter syndrome, where you're put into a position where I mean, seventy percent of um, folks around the world suffer from this, and that can be you know male or female, but within that seventy percent, most of them are women, and most of those women are women of color. Oh, so that means that when you're going for a new position, you want to start a new job, you're about to go give a presentation you have that inferiority complex and then you doubt yourself. That sort of that moment that says, Oh, should I really be standing on the stage? Should I really be doing this? Well, my, my answer to you is you absolutely should be, but what helps anybody going into a new situation is preparation and research with any role, any project you're going to go into, you know, what stops an entrepreneur from crashing and burning? What stops 80% of, you know, startups from failing? Well, you have to have that level of resilience that grit, but really research what you're getting yourself into. What is it you really want to do? What gives you that spring in your step Hmm. and then practice it. You know, you prepare, really, really see what you're faced with. Look at competitors, look what's out there, but then practice, practice your delivery, practice your speech, practice that pitch you're going to give somebody before going in there. Record yourself doing it, have conversations with friends that you know do not support your idea. If you can see what their feedback is, that will help you as well. So I think put yourselves in these difficult resistance situations to ultimately help you when you go out there and that's going to help you feel more confident and better prepared in the long run.
0: Sounds like a lot of work.
1: <laughs> Everything's a lot of work that happens well <laughs> in future. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, it's funny. That reminds me of something. I wrote a, a book years ago for the Jewish holiday of Passover and I wanted to get it into, into supermarkets and I was a little insecure. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome myself even though not, not a lot. I mean, I, uh, I tend to jump in and then look, yeah.
1: right? <laughs> that's, that's yeah. my
0: nature. Right. But I had to, to sell this, this booklet, I wanted to get into the markets and I went to this trade show and it was full of these ultra Orthodox men walking around who were making decisions because there was ethnic stuff, right? Jewish stuff. Mm. And here I am, this, this barely religious Jewish guy from Brooklyn and, uh, Surrounded by all all these Orthodox people and I'm selling a product that was for a very shortened Passover Seder celebration 30-minute Seder it's called right and these guys take six or eight hours to do the same thing Mm. And they come over to me and like they were attacking me. What do you how could you do this 30 minutes? That's terrible That's it's a shanda. is a Yiddish word for a shame, right? Or a disgrace actually Mm. and I would argue with them and tell them why I was doing a good thing. And, and after a while, I convinced them. And they go, well, okay, you're doing a good thing. All right. It's not for us, but keep it up. Mm-hmm. Going in there, I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt like, what am I doing? First of all, why am I doing it with all these Orthodox people? But how, do, how can I possibly convince them that what I'm doing is okay? And they have so much more knowledge than me, background, years of studying and all this. But I did practice it before I went there and I did talk to friends and family about it before I went. So when I got there, I felt like I was armed at least with enough information that I could stand there and hold my own and then let's see what happens. And yeah. So I, I, I get that preparation is extremely, extremely important.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hmm.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Oh,
0: well, <laughs> well, yeah, you're welcome. It's just, a it's a, I, it's a, it was a life-changing experience mm. to be in that room. It, it was hysterical. You know, I, I yeah. tell the story of people and I'm laughing because what's Rob doing with all these orthodox guys? <laughs> <laughs> like the Diamond District in Manhattan, right? Right, so, right,
1: right, yeah. You know, so people
0: don't know. They're just, uh, but you know, they're still just people. And if you can convince them that it's to their benefit, then they like you. Even though what you're selling may not be for them, they still recognize mm. the fact that you're doing a, a good thing. Same with you they recognize the fact that you're providing a service that's valuable and in the end they'll be better off by listening or hiring you than listening to you or hiring you than not right
1: absolutely <laughs> so
0: that was really a nice little piece of wisdom yeah for for these especially women who are insecure about moving into the business world so what we're going to tell them is just you know be prepared be prepared enough so that you know you could accomplish almost anything. Yeah. Now, what about failure? Let's talk about that for a minute. A lot of people are afraid of failing. Mm. An entrepreneur, you have to embrace failure and not be afraid of it, correct?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So you must have had a few failures. What was your biggest failure?
1: Well, you know what? I tell people all the time, when I first started UMA, um, as I mentioned, I had so many doors just closed in my face because my delivery, my approach was just wrong. It takes you time to realize, how do I even get in there? What is it that, you know, I knew that I had to sell something important to these big corporates out there, but at the time they weren't interested. I was a small company and unknown. I said, well, how do I change my approach? How could I get on that level playing field? So it just came over just experience, trying different things. I tell people all the time that if you don't keep failing, you don't understand how to improve yourself, how to adapt, how to be flexible, and then to ultimately to succeed. And also success, when people talk about success, the flip side of the the failure, I tell people as well, the same thing. You haven't actually ever truly succeeded because if you have, you've given up.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. So keep
1: going, keep, keep aiming with failure. It keeps you going. Some people think, oh, I've reached that target. I'm going to stop. No, then that's when you're actually going to go the other way.
0: Yeah. You know, people all the time say, why is that person still working? What are they This guy's rich. He's got, oh, this woman's rich. He's got $15 million in the bank and she's still working out there. Doesn't she have enough? Don't they ever get enough? Well, the answer is they get enough money, but they don't get enough experience, right? They still get satisfaction over finding a problem and solving it. Money is just a way of keeping score. The money after a while is not important at all. It just lets them know that they're winning. Right, And so they never really, a real true business person never really gets tired of being in business, starting a new business.
1: Well, I think you've got to be a creator. One thing yeah. is that your mind is always work like your mum and her artwork. It's, she's, she's always creating. You have to always create and think you're always one, two, three, four, five steps ahead before you've been put down in plan and practice the first step of what you're planning. And that is what the key mind of being a business person is. Um, And I think that's what it's about. It's keeping ahead of the time. You've also got to know when to quit. You know, when you're investing Ah, in something, that's the other thing. I was going to ask
0: you that. That, Here's a very difficult question. Okay. (laughs) But of all the people that I've talked to, you're probably one of the better people to answer this, right? How does somebody know when you go, you know, I'm not giving up. I'll never give up. Like Winston Churchill said, you know, I'll never give up. Um, Just keep going. Uh, even Jack Kemp Caulfield, I think his name was, the guy who did the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, Mm -hmm. he went to something like 96 publishers who said no until one said yes, and now he's a multimillionaire because the one who said yes, right? Anyway, um, how do you know when your idea is just not going to work and you just cut and run, give up, you know, it's not going to work versus saying, no, I'm going to try again tomorrow. I'm going to try again tomorrow and, and not give up. There's some businesses I'm sure where, if you kept at it, you'd succeed. And others were, no matter how much you kept at it, it would never do well. How do you know what to do? How do you know when you're crossed over one of those thresholds?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, you. I mean, even if you've given up on your idea, it doesn't mean that idea wouldn't have succeeded. Here's the thing: eighty percent of small businesses startups fail because of money. Okay. So. How much can you keep ploughing in initially? It's something that you know people bootstrap when they first start. Um, I use my personal finances when I first started Uma. You know everything that I saved that just went straight into the business. Mm-hmm. You have to keep doing that. But then you also have to be able to pivot and change your ideas and your direction. COVID came along, quarantine came along. You know a lot of business stopped. It's just oh, yeah. the circumstances. Do you give up or do you keep going? Kept going. A lot of people did give up and, you know, you see boards up everywhere on, on stores around Manhattan, but some of us kept on going, but we pivoted. You have to pivot. You have to think, okay, how am I going to do? That doesn't mean you failed in your idea. It means you're staying ahead of the game. It means you're thinking about, okay, what can I do to service the people that I know still need me? And That's you a really work that really nice way.
0: optimistic uh, viewpoint. I like that. But
1: you have to, if you're a creator, if you're a business person, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to see the glass as being half full. The minute you see it half empty you're giving up on yourself, and you can't do that. You always have to think ahead, think positively
0: boy that's a really good note to end end our conversation on i have I've got fifty other questions for you, but we've been on <laughs> about an hour, and that's that's just too good of an ending to to <laughs> to keep going. That was terrific. I hope people listen and pay attention to that because that's uh that's 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 really good. I had a feeling you'd be able to give me a fabulous answer and, and you did so I thank you very much for spending some time with me and, and giving me your attention and giving my listeners some little nuggets of wisdom here and there. And and uh, you're as good a guest as I expected you to be, which is always a nice a nice thing. You know. So I wish you well. Hope you do well. Hope your kids are help happy and healthy. And your husband's doing well. And your business, I'm sure, is going to do well. And maybe we could uh, do this again someday. And I want to find out a little bit more about what you're actually doing now with Uma and how you're parlaying that to the next level and making mm-hmm. even more money or better yet, making more of a difference. Right. So I know That's important to you to make a difference. The money comes. Absolutely. You just want to make a difference. Right? Yeah. Maybe COVID will be over and done with who knows, and you'll be traveling again and <laughs> uh, I'll have to catch you in between gigs or something. But
1: Oh, totally. No, but this has been <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for having me. I think, you know, just, just to um, say that I think it's because I love what I do. I have that passion. I will see it through. And that's the thing. So I'm constantly thinking about what else can I do to drive this passion forward because it is making a difference. And Rob, I see people out there that, um, you know, they come back um, after even a year later or two years and said, Rita, you said something to me. And because of something you said, I did this, this and that, or I'm doing that, or I didn't give up or this is what I'm doing now. And there is nothing more satisfying than hearing that, that you've made a difference because of something you might have said or done or helped them out in some way.
0: Yeah, I, that's that's golden. I, I agree. So but in closing, how do people uh, find out more about Uma or get a hold of you or get a hold of Uma or you know, where where do they go if they want to explore more? You told us how you can find your TV show, but how do you <laughs> find other things? You know, how do you just get in touch somebody listens and go, "You know, I I, I need that help or I, I want to find out more." Where do they go?
1: So we have a website. It's www.beboldbeuma.com. That's B E U-M-A what kind of thing I how spell it <laughs> dot com um, and we B Bold B Uma um, is our all of our social media handles so um, at B-E B-O-L-D B-E-U-M-A um, and yeah we're on Twitter Instagram Facebook um, LinkedIn as well and on YouTube
0: great and I know from my experience if you type in uh, just Rita and UMA your stuff comes up. Oh, we
1: okay. oh, can just type my name in. Yeah. Oh, your and, name so yeah, that, Rita <laughs> yeah. comes up
0: and <laughs> Rita got loves-
1: show and then Uma, UMA. So, <laughs> right.
0: so and then and uh, you know as a fail if anybody out there listening if you can't find her for some reason, you could always send me a uh, an email or go to my site and put a note in and I'll be happy to connect you up with, with Rita no, no no issue there. So, all right, well Rita thanks again and uh, hopefully I'll see you again sometime in the very near future. And if I'm in New York, You'll have to take me out for a good slice of pizza, okay?
1: Totally, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. We're out. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women Podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women.